This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Here's Spironi. Rolls the ball out to Cannon. He's got options in front of him. He picks out Thomas. This is a nice-looking move from Palace. That's a neat ball to Ambrose. A space on the right. Good turn. He crosses into Johnson! Oh, yes! Back of the nest! Welcome to Back of the Nest. My name is Chris Hamlington. Well, today, today I'm here with two new panellists. Unfortunately, an old panellist. And a new podcast for you. Uh, hopefully a bit of a surprise for those of you who weren't paying attention when DR accidentally tweeted about it earlier. Um, so today uh, we'll be going through the uh, obviously the fantastic results for England who are at the time of recording World Cup semi-finalists and then we'll be getting into the subject of Palace where there's an awful lot going on in terms of the squad, players leaving, very few players joining, we'll be talking about the uh, anxiety that's starting to build around that too. Thank you for joining us, we'll back after this short message. There are 99 reasons to hate Brighton. Homophobia, homophobia doesn't need to be one of them. Follow us on Twitter at Proud and Palace. Okay, time to introduce my panel. First and foremost, let's get settled in. He's like an old pair of slippers. It's DR Kerners. Hello. Hello, mate. Do you like being called an old pair of slippers? You know what? Just call me that. I don't, I don't really mind. <laughs> I'm used to you. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good, I'm glad. So, uh, how you been? Uh, I've been fine. You know, love sport nowadays. I've seen you. Like, it's, it's like we spoke. We're going to speak for around like four hours this week. That's crazy, ain't it? That's Three way hours too long. Yeah, too, way too many. Anyway, steady hand on the tiller, Dr. Kernas. But we're also joined for the first time by Tom Rado. Is that your entire surname, or is there more to it? I've been called a lot worse. Um, yeah, Rado, Rado, Rado. Um, it's meant to be Rado. Rado. Okay, well, we'll stick to yeah. that. Yeah, a bit posh, isn't it? it is. no, it's Hungarian, actually. It's Hungarian, yeah. Wow. Well, well, I like a goulash. That's Hungarian, isn't it? Yeah, Kirilly. He was Hungarian. Um, <laughs> few, few connections with Palace, but yeah. Exactly. Goulash. Yeah. Welcome, indeed, Tom. We'll come back to you in just a moment, but also want to introduce to everybody, George Gavin. Hi, George. Hi, Chris. It's good to be on for the first time. Obviously, yeah. had the troubles last time, so it's good to be on. 
We tried once before, but this time it's all working fine. George Gavin is the name of, I'm sure it's the name of a sports presenter as well, isn't it? Yeah, he used to work for Sky Sports. There you go. And you're not him, though. No, no, he's about 70 years old, isn't he? I'm only 18. I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there, yeah. yeah. How foolish of me. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for joining us, George. Uh, Back to you, Tom. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How long you've been supporting Palace and why? Yeah, I was just trying to work it out just before this, actually. Uh, 94, 93, 94 season was the first thing as I started going up. My dad took me. Um, and the first game I went to was Portsmouth at home. We smashed them 5-1. And it, hit, it, it was pretty good that season. We won the league, if, you, uh, if any of you remember that. We finished top and went up to the Prem. And then um, we went downhill from there. <laughs> Yeah, it absolutely did. Yeah, no, it was a good good season to start with us. And I, I yeah, remember that game against Portsmouth as well. Good stuff. Um, but, you know, still hanging with the Palace, aren't you? You're still there. Uh, who's your favourite yeah, player? Favourite player at the moment? I I just... Um, Zaha's an easy one. I think he's the best player we've ever had or, or near enough that we've ever had. But I, I'd say Sacco. I love the fact that he's had his ups and downs in his career. Um, I'm a centre-back myself. I play a bit of amateur football. So having a bit of an affinity with uh, the, the old defenders. But, yeah, I like Sacco. I think he's a bit of a hero. Yeah. I like him. And he's very, very palace, isn't he? In, in other words, we've only got him because he's insane. And, uh... He's mad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, George, similar question for yourself. How long have you been supporting Palace and, and why why Palace? Uh, probably been, uh, been supporting Palace all my life, really. Uh, my first game was 2006 or 2007. Can't remember the year. It was against Barnsley, 2-0, and I just remember Clinton Morrison scoring a goal, and I was pretty much hooked from there. But the first like real memory of supporting Palace was the administration year, and when we had that crucial game against Sheffield Wednesday, the two-all game. And it was, I just remember it was on BBC, and like the emotion towards that game was like, yeah, this is my club that I'm going to support now. Great, great time to get involved, and in, you know it's, it's an important memory to have. It just seems like yesterday for me, so it's quite scary having someone on who's whose first sort of uh, uh, idea about Palace was that moment. It makes me feel really, really old. Which D I will quickly point out, I am. Um, yes, but there we yeah. go. <laughs> I'm That's not as old as Nick and Patrick, right? You're I mean, you know, they're old. Are you sixty-five? What was it again, mate? Come on, you know, you know, I was th- thirty-eight. 38 last week oh well, yeah that's your fake age <laughs> yeah you're right and thanks thanks to you for wishing me a happy birthday as well that's very kind of you <laughs> did no one else wish you a happy birthday unbelievable unbelievable anyway <laughs> let's move on so listen as i said in the intro we're going to talk today about england and about palace uh obviously at the moment we haven't fully launched back of the nest this is us testing our software testing some of our newbies and just getting a feel for how we're going to do things going forward so it's really good if we can get feedback from you guys at home and uh, most of this show will be dominated by questions we've had in from our listeners as well which is much appreciated it means i have to do a little bit less work so before we delve into those questions uh, let's talk about England. Dr. You and I uh, did Love Sports show on Thursday, and that's obviously gone out as a as a podcast, which some people may have heard, some people may have not have done. But just to just to recap, um, big big moment for England uh, after that, wasn't it? It was as in as in what happened yesterday. We talked about the Sweden game and how tight we thought it was going to be. England running out two 0 winners. Was were you surprised about how it went? Yeah, I was. Um, I don't I don't know if you remember, but. Uh back at Love Sport, I did say England will struggle because Sweden has been so 
solid defensively. However, England made it look easy you know, all game long. They controlled the game, and it was it was quite. It was quite. I was really surprised. In fact, not quite. I was really surprised at the fact that we won in a quarterfinal game that easily. Yeah, I, you know, it, it it kind of was a stroll at, uh, at one point. I didn't feel any time that that Sweden really put us under any pressure at all. And I, I almost almost found myself disappointed. Do you know what I mean? In, in a weird way, because. It was a quarter final. I wanted England to, you know, the Columbia game was a battle, right? They England had to dig in and show real character and show real pride, uh, you know, to, to play for the shirt and to, to to get through in penalties. With and it was kind, of, it was kind of an anticlimax for for that Sweden game, but not that I have any problem with that. I'm delighted for the first time since Italia '90, which I have strong memories of, that England have a of a World Cup semi final to be playing Croatia, who. Are a very good side, but you know, obviously, hopefully, you guys saw the the game against Russia. You know, the keeper got himself injured, another injured injured to a central defender. They were absolutely dead on their feet after playing extra time and it going to penalties. I think, you know, if you're looking for for omens or you're looking for any kind of pattern to a game, we really look like uh, going into that game as, as the favourites, Tom. Yeah, I was just going to say, I agree with DR. Um, I, before the game, I was I was quite worried, concerned that we'd come through a group uh, that weren't that defensive-minded, they weren't that solid. we get Sweden, who were solid, but they looked so far to be very solid. They weren't, I think, how many clean sheets did they have before our game? I think, was, was it all their games or one of the two of their games were clean sheets before our game? So I thought we'd struggle. And I think uh, they actually, it's the first time I remember England having uh, playing an opponent in a knockout stage of a major tournament, so a Euro or a World Cup, where the opposition actually fear us. So I think we we played okay, but they were fearing us uh, off the back of the Columbia game and the, and the games we played already, and that stunted them. I don't think we played to our ability, but I think they were scared. They they had nothing. They they Every time the ball went, was in the final third, um, they fluffed their lines. It's a really good point, Tom. It's, it's not something I'd actually considered, but you're, you're right. It was a lot of focus, obviously, on how England played and how England went, went about the game. And, you know, me and my mates were talking about it during the match, saying, you know, we're not playing particularly well. But you're absolutely right. If you if you flip it over and look at how Sweden played, they were very much within themselves. And like you said, they they played with fear. And you can tell that by the fact that they simply tried to play uh, against, you know, against our system. So they, they didn't have really the, the game plan of their own. It was all about trying to stop England in their areas of strength and, it was great to see see England sort of overcome that. Uh, George, how impressed were you with the England performance? And you know, again, you know, you're you're a young lad. You probably won't remember being disappointed by England a huge number of times. But um, you know, again, how does it how does it feel you being able to watch an England side get into the semi finals? Yeah, it's great. I agree with Tom in the fact that it was a very like convincing performance, and the fact that we were the favourites against Sweden compared to where it was a mixed reaction compared to Colombia. Uh, the best thing about the England team that uh, that I've seen compared to the others of like the 2006, 2010 and 2014 is the there's so much optimism with the team because the fact it's so young and the fact that like Gareth Southgate has created this atmosphere that is easy to support. He's kind of like when you hear about like Rio Ferdinand talking about like the um, negativity surrounding the England team, there was the fact that there was so much criticism and the fact that Gareth Southgate has now been able to change that, he's kind of brought the country together in a way, and it's just great to watch the England team play. 
Absolutely, George. I think you're completely right about Southgate. And let's spend a bit of time talking about that. The management, obviously, you know, a few years back, we spoke to uh, Gareth Southgate um, and he, he and Steve Parrish were on our show debating the, the delights of EPPPP. And, and you know, Gareth was taking a lot of stick at that time. He's a million miles away from that now, where he's 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 done a very interesting thing. Again, Dio and I talked about it on Love Sport. But there's no reason we can't talk about it again. So I, I feel that Southgate's, he's done, for me, he's done a, he's done a couple of key things. And the, the first is that he's he's decided that he has a system he wants us to play and that he feels will work at international level. And then he's looked at the players available and he's picked the best players to play that system. He hasn't gone like many other England managers in the past who have just picked, you know, the 25 best English players or whatever it is, and then tried to fit them all into a same, the same system. You go back to our supposed golden generation and we always had that debate over Lampard and Gerrard playing together in the same team. Well, if you equate that to how Southgate's approached it, then they wouldn't be playing in the same team. He just would have picked one of them. And it's, it's really interesting to see a, a manager back himself like that. And I think the second thing that he's done, uh, when you talk about this team spirit, it, it's sort of twofold, really. He's most important thing he's done is recognise how much the media have an influence on the England squad. And he's been very, very open with the media. He's made sure all the players are available all the time for the media. They do constant interviews. It's all very, very positive. And he's encouraged, um, you know, the the national media to actually be positive. They haven't gone out and tried to, to ruin our best players other than, you know, Sterling. They had, they tried to do a hatchet job on just before the tournament started. And you could argue, you can see the results of that in his, in his poor form in the tournament. But, you know, for me, Southgate has done an incredible job and, uh, you know, the fans love him at the moment, but you're only as good as your last game. So we'll see how that continues. Do I have, how impressed have you been with Gareth Southgate? Yeah, I've been I've been impressed with him. You know, you listed a couple of points there, but I think the biggest factor for England is that the squad, like there's togetherness in the squad, whereas previous with, you know, uh, Rio Ferdinand and Gerard, whenever they came to the England squad, um, it seemed like they weren't together. It, like the rivalry between the clubs came into the England squad as well, and that restricted on how good they can play together. Whereas now you can see like Harry Kane, he's getting along with everyone. Every player is getting along with everyone, regardless of what club they play for. And I think that's had, that's, that has had a massive influence on how good we're playing because we actually have a team spirit rather than individuals talking about each other. Yeah, Tom, would you go along with that? Do you think, you know, that the, the Club Rover has genuinely been put aside? And, and I suppose, how do you think Gareth Southgate's gone about doing that? Because, you know, clearly other managers would have tried to generate a team spirit what do you think is the difference here yeah I agree with it. everything you said I think um, there's obviously a Spurs spine to the team but um, even if it was like a disparate group of players from you know one from every club and um, the starting 11 I still think they're all quite mature I, I don't see any immature players in that mix um, and, and as such you know they're getting on well they're probably training professionally they're turning up on time every time they're putting in the effort um, and as blokes, I think they've seen from the interviews I've seen, you know, we, none of us know what it's like behind closed doors, but they all seem quite mature blokes. Um, and I, I think a key to everything is putting Kane in as captain. I, I don't think Henderson was a, a poor captain or a poor, you know, an idiot. He wasn't um, sort of, he wasn't a Jack Wilshere who'd go out getting caught smoking and, and whatever. He was quite a clean guy, but Kane's a good player and a mature player. So I think him as captain's probably helped. 
um, sort the boys out. And I, I think, um, and Gareth Southgate seems a mature guy. And he's not, he's good with the media as well. And I think that helps the team. The fact that, you know what I mean? He doesn't let the media get to anyone. Yeah, he's very calm, very organised and always says the right things, I think. And every interview, it's what he comes away from. The first thing the people who've interviewed him said, you know, well, what he comes across so well. And obviously everyone loves his waistcoats as well, which is the main thing. Um, George, uh, a, a friend of mine was saying during the game to me, he said uh, it's the, the most interesting thing he thought for this England side is that they play so well as a team, yet we only have one World Cup class player. And he thinks that that's Harry Kane. Do you go along with that? Is Harry Kane obviously rated like about 100 million as a striker these days? Is he England's only world-class player? Um, obviously, Harry Kane's great, but I disagree with the statement. I think, although he's not playing in the position he wants to, I think Carl Walker's one of the top five right-backs in the world. He's playing under Pep Guardiola, one of the best managers in the world. He's performing well. But I don't think the fact that we only, uh, on the statement, he said we only have um, one world-class player. I almost think that's a good thing because there was this whole like um, perception of this like back in 2006 or 2002 that this was the golden generation. And because I think the expectations were a bit lower for this England team, I think they kind of, that's where they got their uh, bondingness from. Like they come together. I don't think they have to be the best players as long as they can play in the system that makes them look, better as a team and I think that's the best thing and if you look at the teams that have actually got through to the final four in Belgium, France, us and Croatia they've played I think they've been the best four teams in the tournament I think that's I think that's absolutely spot on George it's you know you don't have to have the best players to have the best team which is uh, sounds like a strange thing to say but I think you're right you look at the entire World Cup and that is that is in evidence in evidence the whole time I think Germany going out the way they did was it was a huge shock, obviously. Um, but you know, even Brazil going out the, the the other night, it was, you know, they've got some fantastic individual players, but they didn't really gel. And you had, you know, obviously Neymar was was the one who had so much focus on him, but he spent most of the tournament being ripped apart for for cheating and diving and play acting. And when you see, when you sort of think what what a player he is, you wonder why he wastes his time doing that. We've had. None of those accusations labelled at any England players. It's all been very neat, very tidy, and everyone's, as we say, pulling together, which is great to see. Okay, guys, I'm gonna. There's a couple of questions we got in that relate to England. Well, specifically, it's the the age old question about Wilfred Zaha and whether or not he would have been. Um, he's he's a big miss for England. I think first of all, most people watching it would say if you could sw- switch out one player. For, it would be Raheem Sterling. And if you can imagine putting Wilf in there, because it would be the same position he would play. And you think, uh, what a, should England be regretting that? It was Richard Evans who got in touch saying, could England be regretting turning down Wilf? Uh, our very own Nick Gillard said, not much at this moment in time. But uh, I think there was a, ve- but, but following on from that, it's a very interesting comment from James Howard, who says, it's actually the other way around. I, you know, he, I love, he says, I love Zaha, but I think he's made a big mistake in not being patient with England. England have progressed and they're in the semi-finals of a World Cup. So why would they miss him? All he's got is a very slim chance of reaching a World Cup with a team of no-hopers. So uh, strong strong words from James Howard there. Uh, back to you, DR, really. Wilf, you know, we've always talked about the fact that England neglected him and it was it was England's fault that uh, that he went and chose to, to play for Ivory Coast. But 
you know, you do feel that had he not made that decision a year ago, then he he almost certainly would have gone to the World Cup with England this time around. So how do you view it? Yeah, he'll be, you know, he'll be a decent squad player for England. And you could, like, it's debatable, but you could start ahead of Sterling as well because going forward, Sterling, he's been poor all World Cup long and, you know, he had so many chances and he's bottled it. Maybe having Wilf up there, he could have possibly done better, but who knows? Um, and without a doubt, having Wilf in England's side, you know, he can fit into the England side. He can go into the England squad at the end of the, of the week. He should be selected and... I think it's a bit harsh saying that he should have been more patient because he was performing, Wilf was performing, but England didn't select him. So how much longer should Wilf wait? You know, he had a right to move on because there's a limit to <laughs> there's a limit to how long he has to wait. And you know what? I don't think Wilf's that, that upset. He's loved by Ivory Coast. Every time he, uh, you know, goes to Ivory Coast, he went there for holiday uh, two, three weeks ago, which I saw on sh- social media. And he's loved there and he seems to be enjoy- he seems to be enjoying it, you know, when, when he first played for them. So, yeah, I don't think I don't think he cares that much, but he could go into the England squad any of the week. It's, it's interesting that you, you say exactly what I do. I had, it was a while back I was having that conversation with Jake, who was on with us again on Love Sport on Thursday, but I was on with him a few weeks beforehand. And his view is, is completely different. As some, he's a Leicester fan and obviously looking looking out, outside in rather than from us looking from the inside out. And he was saying that he didn't feel that Zaha warranted selection until the last year. Um, you know, we were t- He said, you know, he obviously, between when he was last selected for England, obviously when he was playing in the Championship, with Palace, but on on loan from Man United, effectively. He said he's forming the first year at Man United, obviously playing for Cardiff at, on loan. And then when he eventually came back to Palace, even those first that first season and a half, he said he didn't warrant selection for England, so he shouldn't be complaining. But uh, obviously, I didn't agree with that, and I guess you don't either, do you? Yeah, I don't, because you see players like Lingard. Yes, Lingard is, is a different player right now, but he got selected for England after playing like 120 minutes. So imagine looking at that in Will's perspective. This guy plays for 120 minutes for Man United and he walks into the England side, whereas I've been playing decent for a couple of months and I don't get selected. So, you know, that will trigger anyone because it, it seems very unfair and... If I was Wilf, I'll move on to Ivory Coast as well because if that's happening, I'll think, well, there's no chance if that if that's happening and I've been playing well, what else can I do? So it does make sense why he did actually go to Ivory Coast and decided to play for them. Yeah, I completely agree. I just wanted to say, yeah, it's happened a few times before. Uh, Victor Moses chose Nigeria over England. He played under-21s for England as did Zaha. Um, I think timings were wrong, a li- uh, were sort of unfortunate a little bit with both of those players. Uh, if, if if Victor, I guess, had got a few more seasons at a club where he's playing more football, he probably would have stuck with England because he would have been picked eventually. I mean, if you look at if Victor Moses, uh, if you look at him now and 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 you say, look, he's English. If he chose in England, he'd probably get in the starting eleven. If not, he'd definitely be on the bench. With Zaha, it's the same thing. And Gareth Southgate, obviously, as everyone knows, he went to, to console Zaha. Well, he went to talk to Zaha about his choice to uh, play for Ivory Coast and he tried to get him to change his mind, I think, didn't he? But he, he, it didn't work. And he then did, before was, that... What, sorry, go on. I was going to say he did, he did, but I think it was obviously too late by that point. And I think there were... Exactly. It was too late. Decisions. Exactly, his decision was made. And then before that, I'm going back to Clinton Morrison. Now, people might not agree with me here. Like, he, he had... A, he had 
he chose uh, Ireland, and he could have obviously played for England. I think he, his grandma was Irish. Um, so right, with, yeah. with yeah, with Clinton Morrison, it, it was a similar thing, but he wasn't quite. We weren't a Premier League club for more than a season uh, with him. I think his best season was in the Championship. We went up. Him and Doogie combined scored forty plus goals. I think it was about they both scored twenty eight or something ridiculous in the Championship, and he was on fire. He in the next season he didn't quite cut it. I think we brought in players and he didn't play as much in the Prem but if Clinton Morrison had played more football in the Premier League he, he probably wouldn't have chosen Ireland and I'm sure he would have got picked for England because he was a great little player but he, he was, in the end he never proved himself in the Prem um, no, I, I understand. I, I, yeah, I don't know whether Clinton would ever have uh, quite made the grade but you're right he might have done he was certainly at one at his peak he was a uh, you know, he was always it would put him in, but I suppose it was more more Palace's status in football that would have would have held that back than it, more than anything. Like you say, we were very much a yo-yo club at that time, so he would never got really got the opportunity to to prove himself at his his peak for us, I guess. But um, I'm going to bring bring George in on this now. So uh, George, obviously you you've seen Wilf uh, over over a number of years. I suppose just a quick is do you consider it to be England's loss or Wilf's loss? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Um, I'd have to say England, just because of the fact I'm English. I'd love to see him in the England team. I only got to see him once play, and that was against Sweden a couple of years ago. Um, I, I'm I'm happy for Wilf anyway. He's my favourite Palace player of all time, considering the age I am. That's pretty much all I've grown up with is Wilf. Uh, the only problem we actually have to, uh, on a Palace perspective is the fact that I believe it's the African Cup of Nations this season as well, and the fact that we're probably going to lose him. That's the only problem with him playing for Ivory Coast is the fact we lose him every two years because of the fact he goes and plays for his country and Ivory Coast are always in that tournament. So, sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was on, I was on mute. I was on mute. That's my fault. Um, and I was also looking up where the African Cup of Nations is because I'm scared. But it's 2019, but when in 2019? That's the question. Because this is a podcast, I'm just going to look it up and hopefully uh, add to Mikey's workload and editing this. Uh, you know, just everyone talk amongst themselves. Why? <laughs> Damn it! It's a good point. That's a good point. We had that with Balazzi as well, didn't we? Where yeah. he'd be important for us, and then bang, he's gone. He'd be hitting form just before Christmas. Do you remember Balazzi? He'd smash it. He'd be assisted. Yeah. yeah, we'd lose him. Yeah. But they, well, changed, they changed the dates, well, didn't they? For they after, did. They did change the dates. You're absolutely right. It's, it's now June 2019, so it'll be off season. Last last year's. There we go. Happy days. But so, just, it's probably the fact that they've got that. Uh, the media always put out the fact that when Wilf isn't in the team, we never win, and it's like a voodoo that we can't get off our back. 
Yeah, no, it's true. And, um, you know, I suppose this will take us neatly into talking about non-England matters and more about Palace matters, because obviously in the press this week, uh, once again, stories that uh, Wilfred Zaha has turned down a, an improved contract. Um, so based on based on what I, I um, have been told, that is, I don't know whether I would say it's 100% true, but the actual story... It's suggested that that's coming from Zaha's agent. Um, and now we should be used to this because Zaha's agent does this every summer. A um, lot, lot of links to Spurs. He seems to want to really be pushing that as a move. Um, but uh, obviously it's got people a little bit concerned that uh, the Wolf is actually looking to get out of Palace. I, I don't believe that that's the case. But what I do believe is that there is an asking price. And if someone meets it, that Zaha would be you know, happy to, to go and try his try his luck at a bigger club again and see see if he could do better than he did last time. Um so that obviously would be concerning, particularly with what you were saying, George, about the fact that, you know, Palace do have a problem getting any kind of a result without Wilfred Zaha in the team. At least that was certainly the case last week. And I suppose we're probably all in agreement that no amount of money really is going to help us uh were we to lose Wilfred Zaha. Um they are, you know, even if we get the the sort of the seventy million we're being asked for, uh, how on earth do we go about using that to to replace the loss of Zaha? Yeah, it will be hard because first of all, if we do get seventy million for Wilf, who's going to want to come to Palace? But if we if we had Wilf there, then you know they could come to Palace because they could see you know they've got talent like Wilf, um, like uh, Ben Teke, and then you know the, the squad can actually go so, somewhere. But without Wilf it won't make Palace a much attractive club. So yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense if we did sell him, but seventy million is a lot of lot of money. But I doubt anyone would pay that anyway. So I'm not I'm not really that scared. I think Wilf will stay the his agent, as you said, always do, always does it every summer. So I'm used to it. And yeah, I don't think we should go into panic mode just yet. Yeah, it was Simon Bedder who contacted us saying that there's he's heard talk that Wilf is a done deal to Chelsea. Um, not something that I've heard and I and I not saying if, if that they wouldn't be in for him and they wouldn't be able to pay the money, but I'll be very surprised with what's going on at Chelsea with you know the managerial situation, Abramovich's visa situation, that they're going to go out in the market and spend seven, seventy million quid on Wilfred Zaha. I mean, let, let's say that they do. Tom, is he would he be a success there? And, and you know, again, some general feelings from you about the, the situation. Yeah, general feelings. I've I've seen today actually this morning Dortmund are now the latest club to have been to have been sniffing around Zaha because um, West Ham uh, are actually involved in that one. So because West Ham are looking at Yarmolenko, uh, their winger, who has only been there for a season. Yeah. Um, Dortmund now apparently are trying to raise funds for Zaha by selling him off to West Ham so that, you know, they'd love that if they were as a part of the West Ham lot would love that if they were a part of the downfall of us losing Zaha. But there's Dortmund and there's Spurs were in for him in January, weren't they? Spurs were in for him, I think, even the summer before. Um, and look, it's, it, plenty of teams are now after him. He's proved himself last season because he didn't just play well. There wasn't just the highlight reel. There was the, the assists and the goals. Um, and, and there was that stat, I think, was it George that said, uh, without him correctly, that everyone's talking about the fact that if without him we didn't win a game, we didn't score a goal. Um, we're reliant on him and it's going to raise his profile that a little bit more. So, yeah, it's, it's, he's definitely probably, I, I think he's going to move on. And I hate to say this, but I, I think if I was him, I'd, 
I'd probably, I wouldn't blame him for going and I'd probably want to move on now. He wants European football. And if we, if we'd been just off European football last season, I think he, going back, I'm thinking about previous good plays we've had. If we were right on the edge of getting European qualification, he might have stayed. But we, we were just, we, was, we scraped mid-table, didn't we? Because we were in trouble for a lot last season. And you might just want to get that stability and, 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 you know, get a sniff of Europe. Um, yeah, I, I, I certainly understand. Obviously, none, none of us want to see that. George, is there a right time to sell Zaha? Um, I don't think there is, to be honest. I think there's stuff off the field. The fact that he's from um, South London, the fact that he pretty much embodies what we stand for, the South London and proud. I don't think there is a good time to sell him at all. I think that... M- mainly the people that are my age, they go there to go and watch Wilf most of the time. So I don't think there is. But just to go back on the Chelsea rumour, I find it hard to believe considering the fact that there's so much a confusion about what's going on at Chelsea at the minute, considering the fact that Conte doesn't seem to be their manager anymore. It seems to be Sarri. And I don't think that... I think he's got other areas to work on, considering the fact that they don't have Champions League football and the fact that... You never know. Uh, there's a rumours that Ronaldo might go to Juventus and uh, Real Madrid have always been keen on Eden Hazard. So you never know, but I don't think there is a good time to sell him, to be honest. I think that the price tag, like even if it is 70 million, I don't think that we can invest that money and get Zaha, him as a person and him as a footballer back in return. Okay, well, there we go. There's everyone's views on Zaha. I'm sure they're matched with most of the uh, Palace support. It's a, a very, very difficult situation. So I'm going to tie in another couple of comments that we've got uh, on the back of the next Crystal Palace chat. Facebook page is a closed group. Any of you can join it. You just need to find it on Facebook. Just search back of the next Crystal Palace chat and you'll find it. Uh, we'll let you all in, but obviously we do control it. So if anyone's a knob, we'll kick you out. So just accept that. That's why it's a closed group, but we're using that at the moment to generate uh, a lot of the content for the show, and that will be the case throughout the course of next season as well. So tying in a couple of comments that we've got on there, um, I'm going to start, I guess, probably with Mark Benici, uh, who's talk- who wants us to explain the news that's uh, coming out that Palace are skint, are we? Um, he's saying, as what he's read, there's been conflicting information. Um so we'll talk about that in just a sec, but it also kind of ties in um, with what was being said. Sorry, bear with me a second. By Liam, uh, Liam Tallis, who said that constant lack of activity in early transfer windows, leaving it late and the squad appears to be weaker than last season. Um, so to kind of address both of those things, you know, as I understand it. So there's been a lot of talk of, you know, how, I think it all started with the Andros Townsend situation where we've we've currently turned down a bid, but if that bid was increased, it's been suggested that we would we would accept it. And a lot of people have been asking why that is, and various information has come out. You know, again, you never know that quite what's true and what isn't, but the gist of it seems to be that. And again, you can look at the accounts that were published uh, for last year, so obviously they're a year out of date. But Palace's spending on wages was massive. And obviously that hasn't good, that's not going to have improved for in the accounts last season. Uh, if you listen to everything that Steve Parrish has said, he's talked about in all the transfer windows, the board have had to put money in to make the signings. So realistically, the budget that we have for this season, you know, it, I think a lot of people look at the money we got for finishing where we did and the TV money and think that that's how much money we've got to spend for the next season. When in reality, we've spent it already. 
So I think that the, the realistic, I think you could say that Palace probably have, you know, 10, 15 million quid to spend and, and whatever wages we've managed to save through, through the players that are left. And that's it. So the choice, you know, it doesn't mean that's that we won't do any business beyond that in the transfer window. But what it does mean is that the manager has a decision to make when bids come in for players. So take Andrews Townsend as an example. If Roy Hodgson thinks for whatever money we got offered for Andrews Townsend, that he can replace him and use the rest of the money to, to make an overall stronger squad, then that's what he'll do. But, you know, he's, he's not going to be able to do both. He's not going to be able to keep Townsend and strengthen the squad by, you know, five or six players. I think realistically, we can get two or three and they're going to have to be bargains. You know, players that are either out of contract or have a year left or uh, perhaps are, you know, playing in leagues that aren't particularly fashionable and, and we take a little bit of a punt on their potential, that kind of a stuff. And I know it's uncomfortable for people, but... You have to look at how the Premier League works. The longer you're in there, the, the higher your wages get. And it's weird because the teams that get promoted have such a low wage bill um, and have there's such a difference between the money they make in the Premier League and the money they make in the Championship that they have much more spending power than, than the teams that sit around the middle of the table and don't generate a huge amount of income. So this is what what we've been told about for a, for a long period of time in my view, by by the board. And this is why we're trying to, you know, increase the size of the stadium and trying to find ways of generating more income because that is the only way you can spend more is to make more money uh, as, as a football club. So hopefully that's not too roundabout a way of, of describing it. But I'll get some thoughts from, from you gents on that. And again, starting with, with yourself, Dior. We haven't got a huge amount of money, but I guess... You know, can, can you see the logic in, say, selling a, a Townsend and, and trying to use that money better in the market? Well, first of all, if we do sell Townsend, then we're going to have to replace him. So there's only ideally one academy player that could replace him, Lemeca. And if it's not Lemeca, then we'll have to buy someone else. So it doesn't really make sense for us to sell Andros Townsend because we're just going to be regressing instead of progressing. And... Um, that's 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 one of the main issues, though. Uh, the main issues of this club is that we've spent money on players that are in the squad but have no impact, like Chungi and uh, Jordan March. So I don't think, in general, I don't think we should rush with transfers. I think Steve Parrish tweeted it out. Uh, I think yesterday he he said that we're trying to get a, we're trying to get the right players, not players. And I think that should be the main focus because in previous transfer windows we've just got players instead of the right players and they haven't been much impactful so I don't think we should panic and you know if if we if we were going to start Andrew Townsend it should be logical it shouldn't be oh we could possibly get someone else it should be all right if we saw Andrew Townsend this still will be confirmed like this should be a good plan but ideally I wouldn't want him sold because he's been decent I'd be harsh on him well, for you, him you to, meant, yeah yeah no, I know what you mean and he doesn't want to go by all accounts as well so but again that's the manager's choice to make isn't it because Clearly, you're not, you haven't got tens and tens of millions of pounds to spend on, on, on players, but that doesn't mean that the transfer window can't be a success. Uh, so, yeah, Dale, you mentioned Steve Parrish's comments there. Tom, I'm going to I'll give these comments to you uh, and get your reaction. So uh, it was in relation to someone called James who, who messaged uh, Steve Parrish and said, basically, when are you back to conduct the transfer business, blah, 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 blah. So Steve has responded and said, to put your mind at rest, when I'm away, thanks to technology, we're always working. I don't sign the players by personally visiting the clubs, which I like as a response because every year 
It's the same thing. It gets to the summer, Steve Parrish goes on holiday, and everyone goes, oh, Steve Parrish is on holiday. We're not going to sign any players. And it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous comment, and I'm glad to see him addressing that. Um, he believes that the Palace have a strong squad and an excellent manager. I certainly agree with with the latter, and uh, I think we've got a very strong first eleven. Um, I, I, I would possibly uh, disagree with Steve that it's a strong squad overall. I think it it is a decent squad, but there are areas of weakness that needs need addressing. Uh, but the the third point, the fourth point, is about England and football coming home, which is a great one. But the third point, and this is really what I want you to address, Tom. And that is that we need the right players, not the players, not players right now. So, in other words, rather than going out and panicking and signing, you know, the first Jack Wilshire that's available, we we're taking our time to get the right players in. But that's usually what causes all the 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 worry. And um, certainly in the last transfer window, it didn't really work out. So, what are your th- what are your feelings? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, last last summer, I was a bit annoyed and I didn't like the way it all happened. It, it, everything was last minute um, and and I didn't think... We were hit with injuries last season so actually without those injuries last season I think we would have found it a far easier season. We'd have been more comfortable. We wouldn't have finished much higher than we did but I think without the injuries we had our squad was pretty solid. I think Parrish was a little unlucky but I still didn't like the way he did business. This summer he's got to go on holiday at some point. He's not, he doesn't holiday um, in the season, obviously. So fair play, uh, go off. And Simon Jordan's always been famous for his Spain holidays. So, you know, our chairman aren't, aren't guys that stay at home uh, throughout the year, are they? But yeah, I think, I think it, it would calm the fans down getting a few early boys in. But I still have, I'm, I'm of one, I'm one of these old fogies. I'm of the opinion that he saved us in 2010. He's part of the, you know, consortium that saved this. I have a lot of trust in him. When I direct my frustrations at the club, it's usually at players that aren't pulling away. It's not Simon, uh, sort of Steve Parrish, um, to be honest. And I, I, I'm, I'm quite confident we're going to pick up a few really sound signings. Like um, Milivojevic was a great signing. I think 15 million was it? He, he, no one had yeah. heard of him. Yeah, was it 15 mil, 10 mil? No one had heard of him. Like I don't believe anyone, any Palace player that found that would say they'd heard of him before we brought him in. My mate, actually, mate and I watched his first game at Palace. He was, he was, he wasn't sure. I thought he was solid. He said, "Look, oh, what who we brought here?" Like, you know, and he turned out to be probably one of our best players last season and the season before, the half the season. And at the World Cup, I think if Serbia had played him in that third group game, they would have been better for it because he didn't actually play for yeah. Serbia in that third game. I was surprised he was yeah, taken out. Yeah. Reports, yeah. Once he had an injury, um, I'd heard he had some sort of a thigh strain oh, and was right. being rested on the bench. I was injured, right? Okay, but yeah, back to your point, though. I'm not. I'm. That's that's an area I'm not stressed about bringing players in. I think um, okay. I'd be very concerned if Zaha leaves. But if the money's spent well, 70, 80 million. Let's face it, we're not going to get any less than 70, 80 million for him uh, if he goes. Which I don't want him to, by the way. Um, but if he does go, let's face it, we're going to get 70, 80 million. That could go towards three or four very solid astute signings and I think we'll be safe if we spend that money sensibly. Okay, so George, lack, we'll call it a lack of signings though. Obviously we have signed uh, Vicente Gaeta who's the, uh, well, potentially the new number one obviously but with Hennessy and Spironi also signing contracts there's competition there um, and obviously Hennessy signing his three-year deal. All, I think all we need to say on that at the moment is 
the player um, that finished the season for the last two months, the way he played, I don't think many people will begrudge him a new contract because he was excellent for those last two months under the coaching of Dean Kiley. I thought a much improved goalkeeper. So nothing too much to say there other than completely understandable. But we have signed a new goalkeeper, but we've done nothing since then in the market other than unfortunately lose a couple of players. And we'll talk about Johan Kabay in a minute. But just to get your feeling as a, as a, you know, a young Palace fan, do you, are you worried with the with each sort of day that passes that we don't sign a player? You know, do you, do you think we are being too cautious, or or are you comfortable and confident that you can trust Steve Parish, as Thomas said? I do trust Parish, and I agree with what Tom said about the fact that he saved us back in two thousand and ten, and the fact that he's done all this work for the club, and now the fact that we've got the new um, extension to the stadium in the main stand coming. I think that he's done brilliant work to get us to the point of where we are but on the transfers the only I would say yes I'm a bit worried only because the January transfer window wasn't that successful in the fact that we got Yak who doesn't seem to be ready for the first team yet Uh, Rakib was a total waste of time and Zorlov got a little unlucky with injuries and there's still a bit of doubt whether that I've seen whether he's uh, good enough to be a part of our first team so I am a little bit worried. I think the main issue we've got, now that we've got our new keeper, there's going to be less doubt over that position. I think the main worry that we we're looking forward uh, is our midfield and the fact that we've lost two influential players, especially in the two uh, last two months of the season in uh, Loftus-Cheek, whether we get him back, I don't know. And Johan Kabai as well. I think it's going to be very hard to replace uh, both of them. Uh, yeah, quickly just going back on the point of transfers. Um, we have to remember that we have Doug Friedman in as well. It's not only Steve Parrish. I've been critical in the past of you know blaming blaming the board and mainly Steve Parrish because he runs a club day to day and you know poor transfers etc. But we hired Doug Friedman August last year and both Yak and uh, oh yeah Racket yeah Yak and Rapit. Racket was on he was in a club Racket. when them transfers happened. So, you know, don't put I want I just want to address this. Don't put all the blame on Steve Parrish. There's Doug Friedman as well in the club and he has to deal with it. So we'll look ahead at this transfer window. We'll discuss it after after it's done, of course, and evaluate it. But if it doesn't go well, it's not only his fault, it's Doug Friedman's fault as well. I just want people to know that because people are already starting to put the blame on Steve Parrish for transfers. I understand what you're saying, I'll come to you in a sec, George, but I'll I'll make the point as well that it's not just about our side of it when when transfers happen. Um, you know, I, I, we've we've talked to a number of people over the years in football. Um, you know, in variety, some some you know some have been managers, some have been players, some have been players and managers. And you know, one of the consistent messages you get regarding transfers is that it really you often you got to remember that there's a selling club as well. So the, I know Neil Warnock's spoke an awful lot about how many different deals over the years that he's tried to do that have fallen through because at the other end of the deal, the team didn't get the player that they wanted. And that can that can happen on the last day of the window. Because quite often, you know, look, bottom line is players, teams don't want to sell good players, right? And if they are going to have to sell a good player, they want to replace them and they want that replacement ready to go. Just you know, when they have to announce that the, the sign is gone. So just to put put yourselves in that position as a Palace fan. Let's say we do have to, we do end up selling Wilfred Zaha. You could be absolutely certain that 
the club don't want to go and announce the sale of, of Wilfred Zaha um, when there's and have no one to replace him. So that deal won't get done unless the, those signings are in place, if you see what I mean. Similar to if Townsend was to go, we would certainly wait until we got signings lined up to replace him. To Otherwise, the fans would absolutely lose the plot. And I guess appealing, you know, appeasing the fans isn't going to be uh, Steve Parrish's top priority and Roy Hodgson's top priority. Their top priority is building and maintaining a, a good squad that works together and is able to play the kind of football that the manager wants to play. Yeah. Uh, oh, George, you were first sorry. with a point, and then DR. Just to add on the point uh, that you've mentioned, Chris, is I think it comes down to the fact that they've moved the transfer window to uh, before the start of the season, before the uh, game against Fulham. And I think that the fact that most of the transfer business we've done has come later in the window, and I think there's less time, has caused this doubt with the recruitment team, whether we're going to get the right people in. So I think that's what's kind of caused the frustration. Certainly added to the pressure, but um, I think it would be there anyway. It just would be probably a couple of weeks later on. But I understand the point you're making, George. Do you? No, it's fine, Chris. Is it? You did have a point, but now you haven't got one. No, no, no. Well, I did have a point, but I thought it might be a bit repetitive. It's just about, like, we should be, like, wary because we signed uh, Diego Cavallari, goalkeeper. I understand he wasn't meant to play much, but... I can't. I can't even remember how many times he was in a match squad. We signed um, Rakib, as yeah, I said. Right. Yeah, we signed Yak, and that was all under Dougie. So, you know, look, we're going to look at this transfer window. Of course, we're going to see what's going to happen. But if he has another poor win, if we have another poor window, I'm not saying it's all Dougie's fault or if it's all Steve Parrish's fault, but he has a part as well because he's he's part of the recruitment as well as being a sporting director. Yeah, of course, and I think. I don't think you'd find anyone at the club who would call last January a successful window. I would say that I think the fact that that Yak and Rakip were were sort of even mentioned as key signings for that window was simply because we didn't sign anyone else, you know. And it's very easy again to forget that we had people actually in the building, you know, trying to trying to sign. Uh, where where it fell through. And that's my point about the the clubs at the other end as well. So Ibrahim Amadou, who's now gone to Sevilla, um, you know, was actually in the building trying to trying to sign a contract to sign for Palace, and it was the the very last moment that that wasn't going to happen as well. So there's lots of reasons why things go wrong, and it's not always in control of the club. However, as people say, that's the danger if you leave it to the last moment. But again, the counter argument to that is. Sometimes the players you want won't be available to the last moment, so you've got a choice: do you do you wait and try and sign them, or do you just sign someone else for the sake of it? And I think that's always Steve Parrish's point: it's what do you think is the alternative? You're, you're arguing that we we shouldn't wait till the last moment, but if no one that you want is available before then, what do you do? Just just to stop people moaning, do you just sign anyone? You could argue that's what we did with Yak and Reku, and that's we saw how that that went out. Tom. Yeah, I'll buy that completely. What you just said there um, about uh, you know the the, the 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 people in charge and responsible for bringing players in should not pay attention to the media or the fans. You know, to be honest, I mean, okay, you have to listen to the fans to some extent, but they know a lot more than us behind closed doors. That you know they're privy to more information. So I think I agree with that. I think we should wait if the right things come comes up at the right time, go for it. Um, I, I think it's all off. Uh, purchase was really astute and a good one. He, he looks like the right build. He's young. Um, he looks like the right build to lead a line. 
he could do well in the Prem. From the minutes he got um, that I saw him come on as a sub, he started, did he start a couple of games? Uh, he, he, he came on as a sub, I think, most of the time. But yeah, yeah, the limited time he had, I was really impressed. He didn't score a goal. He, he, I think he scored disallowed uh, one game. And yeah, yeah it's Chelsea. That's yeah, right. Chelsea. He was he deserved that goal. Yeah, and then he hit the post in another game, and it was a lovely strike. Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea yeah, as well. Yeah. Same game. Uh, yeah, because uh, yeah, it was the one game where he played as as a wet out and out striker, and I thought he was a handful all game. And uh, as you say, scored a legitimate goal that was disallowed for a supposed foul by Riedervald on Cahill. Which was never a was foul, it? and then a uh, yeah last last tiny little deflection off the defender to stop the stop the ball going. Yeah, and hit the post, the post yeah, as well. I thought. He yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. I thought if he got that goal, you know, there'd have been a bigger media reaction. As soon as a goal scored by a player, his their profile goes up immediately, don't they? Right. That a lot of Premiership yeah. club fans who don't support Palace would not still have heard of him because he hasn't played much. You know, played many games, but the his his profile would have gone right up if he scored. Yak and uh, uh, Yakip. I agree. Maybe there were panic buys to quell sort of Palace fan discomfort or whatever uh, with lack of activity. I think Yak, the Polish lads, he apparently, I think he talked about this a few pods ago that he's not quite fit, but he looks good. Rakip, on the other hand, looks like he's well out of his depth. But look, let's look ahead. Yeah, he's, he's gone. Not- he's gone already. He's, he's, yeah, it was, it was a loan and we decided, understandably, not to take up the option there because uh, he wasn't even particularly impressive under go, 23. Yeah. But, so I, mean, I think it was, yeah. it, was a, it was a loan to. Sorry, go on. No, it was, a, it was just a loan, just a loan to have a look at him. I think there's no real harm yeah. in that. It was just perhaps overhyped by the by the way we announced. I mean, it, I yeah, and I, I'm really not panicking. I just wanted to make another point about uh, the last window and this window. I think we dodged a bullet with Wilshire. I really do. I think I, it's not just the. It's, it's not just about his um his made a glass Jack wheelchair reputation. <laughs> He's uh he, if you're gonna have a, a, a look, if you're gonna have a solid squad and a, and a kind of like a uh, a team and you kind of kind of like a get a sort of um like a regular thing going, you can't have a player who's known to be injured half the season every season. It, however good he was, right? And I think it was a big mistake Hodgson bringing him to the Euros. I still think that was massively. He should have brought drink water. So I, I think Wilshire was a good. Bullet dodged. Um, West Ham have got him, haven't they? Has he gone uh, there? Believe, believe that's not very much on the cards. As as I understand it, we were really in, we yeah. we were in for him, and he's he had talks at Palace. Again, that might might not be true, but it's been said by a fair few people um, who tend to know what they're talking about. But uh, looks like West Ham have uh, well, you know, a lot of it's about money and about contracts and stuff, and. Apparently he was a West Ham fan as a kid. I don't know if that's like where Robbie Keane was a, was a Wolves fan, then a Liverpool fan, and then a Spurs fan, and then a LA Galaxy fan. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure if it's the same as that. But yeah. no, you, you, it's, a, it's a good point that you make. But, um, you know, I think we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I'm, I'm not too sure. I mean, obviously with Johan going, that people will say that that would have been an interesting way of replacing it. And I think that's a fascinating situation because clearly we've got Jairo Riedeveld there. Um, it'd be interesting to see with you know with a season and then a healthy pre-season under his belt whether he's ready to make that step up and we can kind of just look to replace him as a squad player uh, rather than replace Johan or or what we do out in the market there. We've certainly got you know the eighty grand a week that we were spending on Johan free in wages, which I think will probably help us uh, in the transfer window over the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, semi centre mid's definitely a place. Like uh, one, someone just said earlier actually about. 
Senem is definitely the place we have to uh, look at, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, like Loftus Chief's gone, Kabai's gone. I think defence goalkeeping fine, up front fine, especially if Wickham's back. But yeah, centre mid. Well, you're bang on there, Mark Cole. Actually, said so we're basically going to wrap up the show with the the last few questions from the uh, Facebook group. So Mark Cole got in touch and exactly on this topic, Tom, and said, uh, "How thin could our midfield be at the start of the season?" You know, uh, we've got we've got Johan and our uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek gone. Well, we need to be signing that sort of a player, and he's sort of he linked it into keeping Wilf to. You know, to making sure we're signing that type of, of player. Realistically, Tom, you can think of anyone that uh, we could bring in if we can't get RLC and Johan back. Well, we haven't got Johan, but you know what I mean. If we can't, we've got to replace those. I don't know what you think. Uh, who, who we've linked? We've been linked this week with Invia. Um, yeah. Uh, he right? Yeah. So he's he's a he was it, was it Sunderland? Yes. Sir, yeah, he's not was, there now. No, he's, he's I can't remember where but, he is, but he's he's a very very good player. In V, yeah, I mean, I I haven't watched him much. Like the games I remember of playing at Sunderland, I don't really remember him playing a good game against us. So I couldn't say I'd love to get him in. But he's a centre mid. We're rumoured to be looking at that could be a BS. And then you've got who else is the other player been linked? Uh, the, the, the Stoke player plays with Senegal. We've been linked with. Um, uh, we've looked I've, him and die. Oh, I've missed that one. I've yeah, and that die. One. Yeah, yeah, someone come in, help me here, because I'm. <laughs> And die, I do and die. His name, excellent. Is his name. I, I've yeah, we, we've been linked with him. Right? Yeah. So I, I, either of them would be all right. They're not bad. Look, they both got prem experience. Um, and and you know, but they wouldn't be like a. I wouldn't say Kabai was world class at us, but he was a big signing, wasn't he? Yeah. So maybe we need, yeah, or maybe we need a, a bit a big name to come in there, or or someone like Loftus Cheek back. Or, or another youth player at his level. Well, um, on that topic, as I understand it, um, obviously you can, you can only have one loan from from a club, right, in the Premier League. So, as I understand it, we've actually got a, a potential loan deal for Tammy Abraham lined up. But the reason that hasn't gone through is we're waiting to see still if we can uh, if we can get Loftus Cheek back. Um, and again, I think what is I've seen rumours that. They've confirmed that Loftus-Cheek will be remaining with Chelsea, but will be available on loan again. And I think that's just delayed things a little bit because obviously if we were to make a choice between those two players, we would take Ruben back rather than uh, take take Abraham. So interesting to see how that one turns out. Uh, but it's definitely one or the other. I've seen suggestions elsewhere that we could be getting both. Well, that physically cannot happen. Um, unfortunately. So there you go. Interesting stuff from that. Um, I've got some other questions relating to that, but let's start with the, with the next one as well. Uh, I'm going to bring you on this, on this one, DR. Um, so Paul Gaskins got in touch and said, any ideas if Naya Kirby has a shot at making a squad or is he too young for Roy to take a chance on? Am I? Yeah. I'm <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was got pretty fast on me or about... <laughs> Yeah, um well anyone's got a chance, you know. Wan Bissaka, you can argue he got into the squad because um of the injuries, but if he if he perform in the training ground and you know, now Kobe has been selected for England and he's been doing these for the under twenty threes, if you play well then of course you've got a chance, but I don't know if he'll be given a chance. That's a different thing by Hodgson. I, it might it might fall down to what happened to Wan Bissaka. If we don't get any midfielders and start getting an injury crisis in midfield, then like that he might have a chance. But ideally, I wouldn't want to put the pressure on him anyway. So I would I would rather get a midfielder and 
you know, just letting progress naturally instead of putting him out there and expecting him to perform perform straight away. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rely on him just yet. Yeah. So what what I would say about that as well, I guess, is you know I've watched Kirby a couple of times. Um, obviously, he did really, really well for the England under. I think it was under under seventeens he was playing in. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but when you look at him playing the under twenty threes, you could see how much talent he's got. He's got very good awareness, uh, really good on the ball. Um, but you can just see physically, he, he probably just needs another year or two. Um, playing at that level, maybe get out and get, get a loan for six months or something like that, just just to play against men, because currently he's, he's quite small. And that should have ruled people out, but at the same time, the Premier League's a very unforgiving league. And if you look at the way we play, it's funny because he's almost the, the perfect foil, because he, he is really a number 10, he, you know, a sit, in, sit, in the, sit behind the striker and maybe drop deep every now and then to, to add to the midfield. But you know, he's he's really, a, I don't know, I guess the sort of player who would thrive in a, more of a free role to kind of dictate play in, in, the, in the final third. And I'm not sure we can necessarily accommodate that. Be interesting to see if he, he would be okay playing in the Loftus-Cheek role. You know, so he puts him out wide so he's not, you know, he's not surrounded by, you know, massive uh, centre-defensive mid, midfield-type players or, you know, a couple of bruising centre-backs who step out and, and bully him. You know, sort of out wide, he'll have a bit more freedom. But I personally think he's 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 a year away from from being looked at in that sense. But he's certainly got talent. Um, I think we'd be much more likely to see, you know, Lumeka, um and and probably Lukilo as well, who are obviously two two sort of pacey, skillful wide players. Uh, Lumeka's a bit more of a sort of powerhouse and more of a goal threat than Lukilo. Um Lukilo's got great distribution and. Uh, you know, and, and that, that turn of pace. And they're very interesting players. And I think that, you know, you with, with the right management and, and a sort of, you know, a bit of careful easing in, I think you could see them featuring the squad probably in the Cups this year. So those would be my tips. And obviously Luke Dre would be a, be a tip as well, but who, who knows what's going on with him with injuries. You know, he was probably would have played in a bit last year if he hadn't been injured so much. And I don't know what the situation is uh, with him going forward. But again, he's he's... He, you could see he was a he's got he's a player with incredible natural talent, but I'm hoping it's not going to end up like uh, like Johnny Williams with a career in tatters because of injury. On that, we have still got Johnny Williams as well. By the way, um, seen him seen him in training um, in the in the video. So you know maybe maybe he can have an injury free season and 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 start to realise some of that talent as long as it's taken. Have, have anyone anyone not written Johnny Williams off? Um, I, was gonna, I was going to talk. I was, I was going to talk about both with Lemeka and Johnny Williams. He took it off my head. Um, with Lemeka, I talk uh, quickly about Lemeka. I think realistically, if someone's going to come up from the academy, I would, I would, I would see as Lemeka because he's shown one of the greatest potentials. I know Lukela's played well, but Lemeka's the one that's impressed me the most. And quickly going on about Johnny Williams, yeah, he's come back, but shouldn't we sell him? Because it's it's another risk where we're going to keep on the squad and. You know, he might he might end up being injured, or we could ideally loan him up, but but it's just not going to work. out. He hasn't worked out for a while. Isn't this the right time to sell him? Because we're struggling with finances already, and you know he's still getting a wage. So, would it be the right time to sell him? I don't know. 
I don't know. You know, if it's up to me, sentiment-wise, I'll never sell Johnny Williams. I want him to be there when he's like forty-five <laughs> years old, still, still believing yeah. he's going to get a game any minute. But um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how much you'd actually get for him. I don't know. Yeah, the thing with that is, what would it, do you think his values drop off the face of the earth because he hasn't played yep. Premier League for so long? Or yep. do, you, do, you, do you think because he's well, been out on loan and he's played a bit here and there, his value's still all right? Because if we sell him at his low point, we, we might not make any money for him. I don't I don't think there's really any value there. I think if he was to leave, it would be for a tiny fee or, or free of charge, um, which is a real shame because he should he should have been a, a massive, massive player for us. It's just terrible some players' careers don't take off because of injury. And unfortunately, with Jolly Williams, it was a case of, it wasn't really, it wasn't his fault. He just had a couple of really bad challenges in matches. It, you know, people make out that he's made of glass. Well, that's only since being clattered by by two real bruisers, one at international level and one, I think it was that pre-season game against Bromley, was it? I think where they really hurt him and it was just totally unnecessary. And this is a guy who, with the talent that he had, you know, we we were talking, when he, when he came through similar time as Wilf, you know, there was a lot of argument over who was the better prospect and many people thought it was, it was Johnny Williams. And um, it's just a shame that that won't come to fruition. But I always, you know, again, sentiment, I've got no reason to think this other than the fact that I really like Johnny Williams. <laughs> He's such a nice lad and he deserves it. But I still think that there's a, there's a shout there. Sorry, Dio, you got your hand up. Reminds me a bit, it reminds me a bit of Matt Janssen. Do you remember him? So he, he only played a couple of seasons for us, didn't he? Was it three, two? And um, two, yeah. he was, he would have been, he would have gone to a big club. He was that good. Uh, Johnny Williams might not have got the game time yet at Premier League level that Matt Janssen got, but he, and then he got his leg broke, didn't he? And he just never played again. But um, yeah, Johnny Williams, I mean, he was good for Wales, wasn't he? And Euros. And uh, he actually played a lot of minutes for Wales, Williams. So I yeah, think if yeah. we gave him game time, you know, risked him a bit, um, he, he could come on. But the thing is, he's, he's more of a number 10 rather than a winger. So if we did lose a winger, we couldn't just chuck Johnny over there. I think we'd have to put him as a sort of number 10, wouldn't we? It's, again, it's hard. that's another reason why it's been difficult. We, we've never really played a system other than when we had him um, under Dougie, where he actually had a, a place where he fitted in. I think with Dougie, where we played three, we had uh, two defensive midfielders and a midfielder just ahead. He was perfect in that midfielder just ahead or one of the wide roles. He was doing really well. Um, particularly, you'll remember the 3-1 against Brighton, which was obviously one of the best days ever as a Palace fan, uh, where Johnny just absolutely ran the show. And that was probably the peak of his Palace career. And it's, you know, it's years ago, which is very, very sad. Uh, but look, we could probably talk about that forever, uh, but we're trying to wrap this up. So let's get to the end of the questions. Uh, I'll have you take this one, please, George. So Gary McElliott, Elligott. It's a confusing name. Gary McElligott has uh, just asked, team spirit versus player quality. Are there parallels with England and Palace? So, you know, Palace often the, the arguably not the strongest team, but we, we do it through having team spirit and organisation, particularly under Hodgson. Are you seeing a similar thing with England in the World Cup? I, I would agree, to be honest. I agree with the statement. I think that the spirit just ran the club, especially since Roy come in, and especially like uh, 2018, I think there's been a real spirit around the team. And you can see it in the England team as well, where everyone just has united to support the team. And I think that performances have shown that. 
I think that when the spirit hasn't been high, especially for England, that I think it's got to the players' heads a bit. And I think that's been the same for some Palace players as well. Obviously, we had the controversy with Benteke and the fact that we showed great spirit when he had that um, penalty that he scored against Leicester. And I think that just showed the unity that we have as Palace fans and England fans as a whole. And the fact that we're really getting behind the team. And I think it's working so, to a success. Totally agree. It's, it makes all the difference when you've got fans and players pulling in the right direction together. And um, we've seen that a number of years at, at Palace. And totally agree, George. And with uh, with Gary, you made the point. That's, uh, there's definite parallels there. And it's amazing how many how many clubs... Don't don't see that. How many supporters don't get that as well? You know, there's been teams relegated purely off the back of the supporters taken against them. Blackburn sticks out in my head when um, effectively they took a, a very very good Blackburn team down because every week the the supporters were booing Steve Keane and were booing the owners as well. He just he just took them took them down. Uh, great stuff, thank you, gents. So the final one uh, we've been talking about it a lot. But uh, Andrew Kidsley says uh, he counts 22 players, including Bissaka, Jordan Much. Uh, but what are the areas that you think are most important to fill the 25? Obviously, guys, we've all talked about the midfield and where we think that's the most important. But uh, what I'll do is I'll convert that to a different type of question and a quick answer from each of you. Uh, if you could sign one player in one position, you don't necessarily have to give the player. You can describe the type of player you want if that's easier. Uh, Going to start with you, DR. Yeah, so we got let's let's argue we've got three places to fill. There's three of you. Uh DR, you start first. Wait, can I can I say midfielder? Yeah, you can, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll sign I'll I'll probably sign yeah, another midfielder um to fill in Kabai type. A, oh. Well type ideally. Like it's someone you can, you know, control the game, someone who can, he has good passing abilities and you know, he can sit back, he can defend and he can go up the you can go up the pitch and support that type of player, someone you can basically support the attackers and support the defenders. So box to box player with good passing abilities. I think we need that in the squad. Okay, so of the three positions, Diaz filled one with a box to box type midfielder who's got good passing ability and can dictate the game. I'm sure that was easy to find. Uh, George, you've got you've got one of the two spaces left. You know we've already signed this magnificent midfielder that Diaz found. Who else are we gonna get? Uh, I would say another winger to kind of replace the role that Bakary Sacco had. A young, quick winger, the ones that I'm used to seeing at Palace. Good on the ball. Like it. Someone like Lookman, if we could get him, I reckon would be a good shout there. But uh, I think he perhaps might be out of our price range. With a great, had a great season on low at uh, RB Leipzig last year. But there we go. Tom, you've got the final position. We've got a tricky young winger and a fantastic ball-playing midfielder dominating the midfield. Final space, what do we need? No, it's tricky then now. So I think goalkeeper's covered. We've got three great keepers in there. Sproni's still all right if we needed a third. But we've got two uh, great keepers to fight for place. Um, back four sorted and we've got replacements there uh, it's a bit of depth there centre mid's done George sorted that out um, uh, sorry DR sorted the centre mid out George sorted the wing out now I'd probably go depends if Wickham comes back fit pretty quick I don't think we need another striker we've got Salop Benteke Wickham done so it would probably be another centre attacking mid or centre mid box to box I'm not going to say strike. I'm not going to say strike. It's a bit of an easy one because, yeah, if Wickham's back, and I always rated Wickham, I think he came into really good form before he got injured. Um, 
I think Wickham's fine as a, as a kind of fighting striker to to to, uh, to come in on on, on Benteke and Ensolov's also a talent. So I think another centre mid. Oh, there we go. Like it. I do think that last position is a bit of a wild card there because you could make an argument for another centre back with Delaney retiring and how things panned out for us last year. But Kelly's still about, of course. Uh, but with Dan coming back from a very serious injury, we don't know how he's going to be. He looks like he's taking a bit of a side sort of role. He's been alongside the coaching staff rather than the players in the uh, in the training in pre season. So it looks like he might be a, some way off fitness. Uh, and obviously. You know, with Sacco last year, didn't play a tremendous amount of games. Tompkins a little bit injury prone. Maybe we need a bit more cover there if Yak's not going to make the grade. Um, and then, of course, as you say, another midfielder wouldn't go amiss because we're light there. Um, but then again, if you look at the strikers we have, is there room for a different type of striker? You know, maybe a shorter, pacier type, someone to go in and play off the shoulder, that kind of stuff. Or uh, maybe like a, a false nine almost who could you know sit around and sort of play in those little gaps something like that but uh good thinking guys that was a that was an impressive uh answer to a question i dropped on you at a very late moment giving you no thinking time so well done indeed right we shall leave that there thank you very much to my panel that's tom rado dr kerners and george gavin cheers to mikey for producing keep uh keep your eyes out there'll be various podcasts and things before we actually start the season fresh and of course our website the new back of the nest website will be launching around august time and i can't wait to show you what we've been up to but it's a lot of work still to go on that of course and uh hopefully by the next time we speak to you england will, will have won the world cup and we'll be celebrating that one as well so cheers and speak to you soon it's the 90th minute all your mates around You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.